The 11 Dubcast is back with a big win over our arch rivals from that state up north. I am Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. And Johnny, I'm, I have to say, I'm impressed and a bit surprised with how easy Ohio State uh, dispatched the Wolverines on Saturday. Yeah, uh, we won, somehow. I, I mean, I, not somehow, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty obvious how we won. We just kicked the crap out of them <laughs> on the ground, but that was, that was unexpected and super badass. It was great. That was probably one of the more entertaining uh, games I think I've seen all year. That was amazing. It was. It's actually very funny to me that, you know, Michigan's top ten ranked team, their best best team in years uh, on the field, and number one defense in uh, rush defense and number one pass defense in the conference, and Ohio State just rumbled right over them like they weren't even there. And in the last few years, they haven't had a very good team, and they've hung right in there against Ohio State. So it was a little bit interesting to see a, a big win like that. Yeah, I mean, you would think that. With a better coach and a better team, that Jim Harbaugh would have made something happen, especially at home. But instead, they just got dismantled, and it was hilarious and awesome. And I enjoyed that. I mean, not even close. I mean, granted, yes, it's the game, right? That's going to be more enjoyable for us. But uh, that was the most entertaining, fun game to watch all season. The rest of the season, the doldrums of, you know, September and October, where we're just kind of sleepwalking through, completely worth it. For Saturday, yeah, completely, yeah, <laughs> I agree. That was that was very entertaining, and you know, one thing I love is you know, second half of the game and Michigan Stadium's half empty. It's an OHIO right. chance going around the stadium. Which is awesome, big, hilarious. big old sign that says "Welcome Home, Coach Harbaugh." A big red sign. Right. It was. It really reminded me of the Rich Rod days. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I got to tell you something. We still need to verify that, but I am like ninety nine percent certain. The guys who made that sign are the guys who made that, like, we love you, Coach Rodriguez. Like, it has to be the same people because it, same font, it same type of sign. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> it, it did look very similar. I, I Hopefully somebody can verify that for us because that, that was awesome. I mean, that was that was just – there's no other word for it. Um, it even got hilarious at the end with, with Joey Bosa getting a tipped interception uh, of Wilton Spate there after he knocked Jake Rudock out. It was like – I thought Joey Bosa might actually kill a guy. And, and for a minute, I thought he had killed a guy when he hit Jake Rudock. Yeah. Uh, um, just a, an unbelievable performance from Bosa and on the offensive side, unbelievable day for Zeke. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the thing. Like, Ezekiel Elliott got his carries, right? Maybe didn't run uh-huh. 40 times like, you know, his uh, his compatriot over there in Alabama did. But, like, you know... That was the Ezekiel that I think everybody wanted to see throughout the year. And not just the fact that he was getting more carries, but they actually seemed like they were focusing the offense on what he was doing. There wasn't a lot of cutesy crap with Braxton Miller. You're not running the Wildcat every third thing, you know, every third mm-hmm. down for whatever reason. Ezekiel it truly was the focus of the offense. Ed Warner apparently in the coach's booth works perfectly, <laughs> which I don't yeah. think anybody expected. And that's that's what you wanted to see as an high state fan, especially in offense. They did exactly what we had hoped they would have done from game one. And the only thing that leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth is like, well, why didn't we do that against Michigan State? Because it feels like that would have worked really, really well. But yeah, you know, it, the pass is passed. I'm not gonna like yeah. super salty about games you can't really change. Yeah, I mean. You got to expect a loss every year. You you have to yeah. just based on the law of averages and and the way things go. Sure. 
and and you always knew it was going to be Michigan State or Michigan because when you looked at the way the schedule kind of laid out, you thought, okay, as long as we're ready to go for Virginia Tech, because you know they're playing at home, that, that could be a, a potential problem. Right. As long as we don't do something stupid against a team that we're vastly superior than, it's going to be one of the Michigan schools if right. it's going to be anybody. And you know, unfortunately, it happened against Michigan State on Senior Day, and and it's you know now we're stuck in the position of not being in the Big Ten championship game. And my only problem with that game is if you're going to go down swinging, you go down swinging with your best weapons. You be you. Right. You make them stop what you do best. And you know, with only giving the ball to to Zeke twice in the second half, I, I felt like we just we just basically said. All right, we know you're good, so we're just gonna not do what you think we're gonna do, and you know that I think sometimes teams outsmart themselves a little bit. Yeah, and you know I, I will go back and point out that the, the one touchdown drive it wasn't a long drive, but Zeke had eight carries on the first touchdown drive in that yep. game, and in the entire rest of the game, both before that drive and after that drive, I think he had two before that drive and two after that drive. Yeah, so. You know you can't you can't win the game if you don't give the ball to your best players, and you know we've seen Zeke before this year struggle in the first half and then dominate the second half, and and I think Michigan State took a page out of our book, and w- they were able to do that and wear down our defense in the second half by just you know we'll keep giving it to them for two or three yards, and then in the second half it'll be more like four or five yards. And they just kept doing that and then converting those third downs. And and um, they were able to come out on top with the long field goal and the bad weather. It's unfortunate they couldn't be going against the wind in the fourth quarter. But, right. you know, that's just one of those stupid things that if you go back and you look at this whole entire season, it could have been won or lost on a coin toss. Yeah. Or on the, or on the fact that Michigan couldn't execute a stinking punt. Well, I will uh, say this, Michael. <laughs> I don't care about any of that more because we that's right. Michigan. Like, I don't care. That's right. That was that was a very long explanation about a game that I don't care about anymore because I gotta tell you something, uh, we beat Michigan and that was kick ass. Like That's again, right. yeah, it sucks, but you, you were correct when you said that it's probably maybe you know not realistic to expect a perfect season every year. And honestly, like punching Jim Harbaugh in the mouth at home, you know where they're doing the OHIO around the stadium, where you know Joey Bosa just collapses Jake Rudock into the earth and like it's you know hell spawner coming out of the bottom of you know it just it's, it's amazing like the whole yeah. like the whole pit that is Michigan Stadium just transformed into this glorious like orgy of Ohio State violence and <laughs> I really wanted him to house that uh interception I guess that he got like I you know that I did too I yeah did too. that's the kind of stuff that I live for and I, like I said, I probably, not only did I enjoy this particular mission game more than I would say, you know, any other game this season, I enjoyed it more probably than any other mission game for a long time. Uh, yeah. This was, I mean, it wasn't entertaining in the, in the football sense, but it was definitely entertaining in the, like, hilarity sense. So, I had a great time. Uh, I am really going to miss the seniors and, of course, all the departing juniors. Uh, if that's our last regular season look at them, that was one hell of a good one. And, you know, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah. It took us a while and to you get to this be. point, yeah. but I'm feeling good. And, and you should feel good. You know, can I just tell you one of my favorite parts of that game? Yeah. Well, the first half of the game, all we just get crammed down our throats from the announcers, how great Jabril Peppers is. Oh, my right? God, yeah. 
And then <laughs> JT Barrett made him JT Barrett made him look so bad on that touchdown run. Oh yeah, that was great. And yeah, I mean that's the like, thing, right? Like, and that's what makes you enjoy the mission game. The, the mythology. The other team is supposed to be good, uh, and you just make them look foolish. And you know, I think. I mean, it's never going to happen, but I still love the communal joy that we take in, in constantly begging, you know, Urban Meyer to go for two against Michigan. Like, it's never going to happen, right? Like, he's not going to run up the score like that. But, man, I, <laughs> you, you, get, you get sucked back into it. Like, you spend the whole season, there's ups and downs, but you kind of have this malaise about it where you're like, eh, they don't feel like they're playing that great. But the game happens, Michigan, it, something about it just makes you – want blood and it was it was great like i, I loved it i love going on imbo imgo blog the next day and seeing nothing <laughs> because nobody yeah. wants to talk about it and then you, you come to our website and there's like a thousand posts because everybody wants to talk about it and that, that's that's part of it and, and i love that yeah. i think that's awesome it is it's great and i you know i actually enjoyed the fact that they tried to get mike thomas a, a receiving touchdown late in that game yeah <laughs> and you know the, the announcers were like Hmm. What? It's hard to believe that they would actually throw in this situation. It's like, is it? No, it's not. Do Do you not realize what you're what you're calling? You're calling Ohio State, Michigan. Exactly. And they would do the same thing to us if they were in the same position. And so, I hope they would. I I hope they would because if they didn't, then that means they're not taking the the rivalry nearly as seriously enough. That's right. And I'm I'm glad they do. And I'm glad that we are really tilted the uh, the rivalry in the last uh, decade plus. So. Yeah, next next season may be a little rough, but I, I definitely enjoyed uh, this game. Yeah, a re- little bit rebuilding next year, but uh, this year's not over, Johnny. This year is not <laughs> over. So what kind of chaos does Ohio State need to sneak in as a non-conference champion? Yeah, well, I hate to say this, but I think it's pretty much impossible chaos. I don't think it's going to happen. Um you, you're looking at a lot of upsets. You're looking at Clemson having to go down. Bama's got to go down. You probably want Stanford to go down somehow. The USA. I mean, it, I just I don't foresee it happening. Um, just because that might be a little too much chaos to ask for for college football. But similar things have happened with Ohio State. I mean, kind of how we got into the national championship game there against LSU. I mean. A lot of teams did lose to get us in there. Um, I wouldn't count on it. I think you're looking at Rose or Fiesta, frankly. But, you know, who knows? You know, it it could happen. I just, I'm not going to count on it. I think you should probably be looking towards the, the West Coast for it. Yeah, I I think that the likelihood is the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, and that's not a bad no, uh, that's shoot uh, I'll consolation that. prize. Yeah, that, that's a good season. When you get to the Rose Bowl or Fiesta Bowl, that's a good season. Um I would say this is what needs to happen to get into the Final Four, though. I, I think Stanford has to lose to USC, or I believe they'll leapfrog us. Uh, obviously, we want Michigan State to just crush Iowa. Right. Uh, that way, they have one loss, we have one loss, and Michigan State, because if, if Michigan State were to lose a close game, I don't think they would necessarily fall below Ohio State, who they beat on the road. Right. So I, I think Agreed. Iowa needs to lose. So so Michigan State over Iowa, that's realistic. Um I think you need Stanford to lose to USC, which could happen in the in the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, because uh, because USC is not going to leapfrog us. No, uh, and I think you need either Clemson or Alabama to lose to North Carolina or or Florida, respectively. I don't see either as necessarily likely, but if I were to pick one, I would say maybe North Carolina's got a shot at Clemson. <laughs> um, North Carolina's I, a good I, team. North Carolina's a very good 
good team. Yeah, I, I don't and I don't know. There's some that think that Clemson could lose that game and and not fall below Ohio State, or there's some people that think that North Carolina would leapfrog all the way up from where they are to to beat Ohio State, and that could happen. But when I think about the scenarios, here's what I see. I see the if there's no clear cut and Ohio State's the defending champion with one loss to a team that is going to be ranked in the top three by a field goal on, in bad weather, and knowing the fact that Ohio State travels and, and brings the, the, the eyeballs. Yeah, and which is definitely I, a factor. Don't let anybody tell you that's yeah, not a factor. I, I think that plays in, so, but I still think you still need three things to happen. Yeah. So three out of, what, four Four things need to happen. Yeah, I think correctly. you might get two, but I don't. Yeah, I think three is a little far fetched, to be honest. So you know, all we can do is sit back on Saturday. We're not playing, so let's just root for chaos. And uh, there you go. What happens? Um, so Johnny, I wrote about this this week, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Okay. What What makes a successful college football season? I don't mean this year. I mean right. any just in given, general. Any given year, yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I think part of it is, A, you know, what your expectations are going into it, and then, B, you know, who you are, right, like, depending on the team. I mean, let's, it, let, and it, we're just talking explicitly about Ohio State. Right. You know, for me, it's I want to be competitive in the Big Ten Championship, like, every year. I think that's a, that's a baseline for Ohio State. I'm not looking for national championships every year because you essentially have to go undefeated, uh, at least yeah. in this environment, especially in the Big Ten. You're going to have to run the table. Which again is possible, but very very difficult to do. And I don't really know that Ohio State fans fully appreciate how difficult it is, uh, given the past several years. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, at most two losses in Big Ten play. I don't want to see any more than that, just given the state of the Big Ten and, and where Ohio State is under Urban Meyer. Um, and I want them to beat Michigan. I mean, I think that's the baseline. So if they, you know, if they are competitive in the Big Ten championship race, they beat Michigan, and you know they don't sustain any really stupid losses in Big Ten play, maybe only lose one game. Like, I'm cool with that. That, to me, is a successful mm-hmm. season. Now, I understand some people are like, well, I want post-game stuff. I want to go to the Big Ten championship. I want to be involved in the playoff. That's mm-hmm. great, but I don't know that's realistic to expect every season. So for me, that's not going to be the criteria of what a successful season has been. I want to see a growth and evolution of the team and – you know, if they had come out, honestly, against Michigan and just kind of, like, squeaked out a victory and not looked real great, I probably wouldn't be so amped about it. But it mm-hmm. looked like they figured it out, again, way far down the line in the season, but it <laughs> looked like they figured out what they were trying to do, and it looked awesome. And and because of that, that is what I consider to be a successful season. All they had to do was put Ed Warner in the box. <laughs> right. That's all right. That's it. It somehow That's worked all. really well. <laughs> So my my take on it is this, and I I didn't write this criteria down. I just said eleven and one, whatever happens from here on out, it's a successful season. Yes. I believe that because my thought is there are a lot of good football programs across the country. Okay, my goal as 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 an Ohio State fan, this team should be somewhere in the top ten. You know, year in year out, if we stay in the top ten, you have a top ten season. That's a successful season for me. Right. And you're not always going to, because of the, the conference structure, the way it is with two divisions, you're not always going to win your division to be in that top ten. And like, like I, you know, we discussed, Ohio State, had they lost a different game, might have had a different result. 
they lost that particular game to Michigan State. Michigan State happened to pull out the Michigan game, and that's what got them, virtue of their tiebreaker by beating us, got them in the Big Ten title game instead of us. You're not going to always win your conference. It's not going to happen every year. Not right. always going to get in that Final Four every year. It's just not going to happen. It's just ridiculous to think that. And you can sit there and go, yeah, but we had all this talent returning and all, and we had the best coaches and blah, blah, blah. And you can, you know, I don't care about any of that. Yeah. The, the fact is a team, the 2014 team and the 2015 team, not the same team. No. A team, a team from any two years is not – even if it has mostly the same players, it's not the same. Well, the chemistry make, the make up the goals, I mean, the drive, like, again, I mean, you're it's it's one thing to go up the mountain. you got to fight and scrape, and I think that's a huge motivator. It's another thing to try mm-hmm. to maintain that, and to maintain it is much, much more difficult for a football Much more, yeah. So, because yeah, I you're not, completely agree with you with that. No matter how motivated you think you are to hold on to what you have, other teams are more motivated to take that from <laughs> yeah, you no than kidding. you are than you are to, to hold on to it. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. Right. So I think successful season. I think people that are, you know, pissing and moaning that you know Ohio State could get left out of the the college football playoff a year after winning a title, an improbable title with a third string quarterback. Yeah. I think those people probably have lives that are probably not as happy as they should be. <laughs> so they go to a restaurant and they get steak. Well, it's not like the best steak in the world. Yeah. I could be I, having filet mignon, but instead I got a flank steak. Like, you know, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah. for happy was anything. Like, you try to be, try to be happy. You know, happy. For, this is college football first world problems right here. Yes. First world problems. 100%. All right, so Johnny, let's do some ask us anything. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's ask ourselves anything, or All right. ask each other. Well, let's let other people. Yeah, ask let's other people. <laughs> I don't How know can they do that? How can people get those questions to us, Johnny? Uh, they can do it a couple ways. The first way that they can do it is by sending us an email to uh, uh, dubcast at elevenwarriors dot com, or they can send us a Twitter question to at eleven dubcast. That's right, and those are two very, very good ways to get us your questions and ask us literally anything. And uh, the first question comes to us from the Twitter sphere, and uh, it's Rich Bruns. He wants to know, how would you rather beat that school up north, blowout win or nail-biter, Johnny? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I think that also depends on the context. Mm-hmm. So... If Ohio State is having kind of a down year, right? Like, let's talk about, like, let's say 2004. Okay, 2004, okay. Ohio State was not a great football team, but they still beat Michigan. And it wasn't exactly a nail-biter, but it was relatively close. That was a lot of fun. Because Michigan was pretty heavily favored in that game. And that was pretty entertaining to watch. On the other hand, if Ohio State is a significant favorite, I want them to beat the absolute crap out of Michigan. I don't want it to be close <laughs> at all. Like, if you're a touchdown favorite, you win by five. Like, that's how I feel about that. So I think it kind of depends on what the situation is going into it. I, basically, whatever would be funniest, I guess, and cause yeah. Michigan okay. the most misery. I agree with that. I think I, I like to crush them. That's my favorite preferred way. But if you can't absolutely crush them, I want it to be on the very last play of the game. So it's as painful <laughs> as possible. Right. Uh, you know, it's like 65-yard field goal or something ridiculous like the Michigan State-Michigan game final play where all they got to do is punt the ball and the guy just flips it up in the air and it picks it <laughs> off and runs it in for yeah, that's that. Yeah, if you can guarantee something like that to beat Michigan, then yes, that is yeah. the ideal way to beat them. Yeah. That- or, or, or sorry, Browns fans, what happened Monday <laughs> night? 
what happened Monday night would be hilarious to do to Michigan. Yeah, or any of the number of ways the Browns have lost in a humiliating <laughs> or terrible fashion. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, so, uh, what do we got in the emails here? I'm sure we got some emails. We have lots of emails. Uh, let's lots of emails. We have lots All right. of emails. So, do you want to? Do you want me to get into it, or do you want to do it? Uh, go ahead, pick one. Okay, so <laughs> I'll try to pick more than one. All right, pick, uh, pick the I will first pick one. all of them because we're gonna read all of them. Okay. All right, so uh, we've got a, a question here from uh, our good friend Alvin here. Uh, what under what conditions would you accept a job uh, from at ESPN? Would you be a podcaster, blogger, sports anal- analyst, or a counter for Mark May? <laughs> so, what yeah. under what? Conditions? Would you accept a, a job at, at the uh, the Evil Empire? Good pay. Yeah. <laughs> pay me money. Pay me. I'll do yeah. it. Shoot, I'm not that proud. Money to do sports? I'll do it. I don't look. I'll even I'll even go online and say nice things about them if they're paying me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I look. Yes, ESPN is a is an evil monolithic entity owned by another evil monolithic entity, but they produce on occasion good. Sh- television sometimes and it's sports like i work shoot i work what 55 60 hours a week uh teaching children and i enjoy doing that but i don't get paid a lot of money if you could tell me that i could work like a 40 hour week job getting paid a decent amount of money like doing sports i would do it it's okay i'll work for espn i'm not gonna cry about it if you want me to wring out mark may's like dirty handkerchiefs but you'll pay me a decent amount of money and i don't have to like break my back yeah i might do that I might do it. Mm-hmm. I might do it. I don't have a lot of integrity. I might do it. Just, yeah, I'm just trying to support my family. I don't really care that much. You know, my children I mean, need wine. Um, okay. <laughs> very obscure Simpsons reference. Uh, okay, next question is from Patrick. Uh, you guys are great as always, uh, so thanks for doing what you do. You're welcome, Patrick. Thank, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. So, curious if Tim Beck had any media since the um, MSU loss or post-UM victory. I had read elsewhere that he was nowhere to be found, although his name was uh, taken in vain often. Curious if he's made available to speak in the face of all the scrutiny, and did he move with Warner to the press box, or excuse me, did the move with Warner to the press box signal a change in management or perhaps a future coaching vacancy? Thanks, Patrick. What do you think about that, Michael? Well, my my immediate thought is that Urban's a pretty loyal guy, and he's going to at least give Beck another year. Yeah. That's yeah. that's my thought. I, I don't I don't know that he was available or wasn't available because we're not actually covering the team on the beat like our, our like our guys Tim Shoemaker and, and Eric Seeger do it. Yeah, I don't um, I don't think he's been like super prominent in that regard. Um, yeah, and you wouldn't expect him right, to and it, right, and that's kind of the other point, right? Like he wouldn't necessarily be prominent because Urban Meyer really is kind of the voice of the offense in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He controls it all, and and you know Urban took his share of the heat for for play calling. Yeah, he did. And said he called a lot of the plays, and you know we can sit here and go, well, this is the we can point to this. It's easy to point to Tim Beck and say that's what's different this year. It's Tim also Beck and fun Tom Herman to do it. Yeah, but you know the fact is Tom Herman left, and you lost a really great coach. Right, and that doesn't necessarily mean the guys that you replace him with are bad. It's just it's not a quick fix. I mean, when Tom Herman's first year here, the offense wasn't great. Yeah. I, mean, and look, I think a I lot of people this. forget that. Yeah, I, I'll say this, though, um, just real briefly. I don't think the team has I – mean, I think that move in of itself, honestly, kind of signals the lack of faith that the team has in general in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, look, yes, right? Like, you know, it, 
is this mean like Tim Beck's gonna get fired because Ed Werner is in the booth? No, but like, what was the excuse? He said so we can get the plays down quicker. Wasn't that what what Meyer said? What does that it was mean? To, to improve communication. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, that that, that, I, that I, I don't know. I don't know. My understanding of the situation was that Warner was supposed to call plays, and he chose to do it from the sideline to start the season. Right. That wasn't working. So they had Tim Beck, who was already in the box, do it, and you know have Warner and Meyer weigh in. So on are it. they admitting that he's just like bad at it? Like, I I I don't know. I mean, maybe the 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 point of it is, I think you want your. It's not ideal to have your offensive line coach in the press box. Right. It's not ideal to have your play caller on the sideline. So how do you reconcile that? Yeah. And I, I think Warner is the better play caller, but you still want your offensive line coach on the sideline. So it, they're going to have to figure this out. And I think it took them all year to finally figure it out. I don't think that would have worked early in the season because I think early in the season when the offensive line was struggling, you really did need Warner on the sideline. Yeah. And that's, so, right. And that's and that does make sense, I guess. I mean, if you do want a guy down there, but it almost feels like they're just <laughs> – they're playing King Solomon with Ed Warner almost, right? Like he's so good. We want him both places. So we're going to have Tim back kind of do his job, you know, in the mm-hmm. place where he's least valuable apparently, or at least what they thought initially, but he's not, I mean, he's, he's a very good play caller. He knows what he's doing apparently. And yeah, I don't even know what Tim Beck was doing on Saturday. What was seriously like, what was he doing? Was he just helping him out? Like saying like, Hey, maybe we should do this. Like, I don't know. I, as much as I do think that Tim Beck will be around next season, because as I agree with you, you know, Urban Meyer's a loyal guy. I almost feel like he's like extraneous at this point. Like, I don't know that he mm-hmm. does much in terms of like what they're looking for in a game day coach. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting going forward. What his role is going to be. Yeah. And it's easy reduced. to point the finger at a guy who a lot of people didn't like to hire to begin with. It's, it's right. easy to point that finger. So uh, we'll see. Uh, maybe he'll, go somewhere else in the offseason. Maybe he'll get a, an offer, a small school to be head coach. Who knows? Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. We we think we know that maybe Chris Ash will be leaving, um, and that kind of concerns me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's just that's, get through this season first. Yeah, yeah let's get through this season and, and figure it out from there. Next question. All right, next question is from our good friend, Jim. Uh, Jim says, hope all is well. It is, it is, it is. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, his question for the week is, was Ohio State's third quarter drive that consumed 7.05 off the clock the best drive of the season? Uh, yes. I can say definitively, yes, it was. Um, <laughs> so please consider multiple factors such as time of possession, number of plays, distance, execution, and efficiency. Thanks. I'm looking forward to the response. Is there any, Michael, is there any play or any, sorry, any drive that can compare to that epic drive in the third quarter? That was seven minutes. Like that was. I don't even think it's close. I think that has to be the best one. That was an incredible drive. Yeah, that and was great. I, I am. I'm. I love drives where you just so we're gonna run it and you're not gonna stop yep. us. We're gonna run it. And you're not gonna stop, and you do that all the way down the field. And that's to me. That's an awesome drive. But to me, every drive that ends in a touchdown is equally good. <laughs> okay. Because you've accomplished the goal of the drive. Great cop out from Michael Citro. Maybe <laughs> maybe it sounds like a cop out, but I mean the the goal is you you have the possession of the ball. Your goal is to score a touchdown. Right. So for for my money, unless your defense is just gassed, mm-hmm. I don't care if you score in one play. I I would say this it was certainly one of the best, and I would one of my favorite drives. I'll put it that way. Right. And but I can I. It's like how it's like picking between your children. Do I love that more than this 
more than the Braxton spin move drive, you know? Well, and, and that, was that was exciting was bring up. So I, I think it's contextual too, in my opinion, I don't know that I consider them all equal. I think it depends on yeah. when the, the touchdown occurred and, and how it helped the team, you know, going I mean, last year, wasn't 85 yards through the, through the heart of the South. Wasn't that your favorite drive last yeah, year? Yeah. Well, yeah. And again, that's not really a drive per se. Right. But, it, but right, I know what right. you're saying and it, it makes sense. But the only thing that I would say, if you're looking at drives, right, you want to look at sustained, just like butt kicking. And, again, there wasn't a ton of that against, like, marquee opponents. The, the two drives that I really, really liked, and, again, both had very large plays, right, for touchdowns, but the two touchdowns that Ohio State scored in the third quarter against Virginia Tech to really put them in control of the game, that was sweet. Like, that was just awesome. And I loved every aspect of those just because you were like, all right, Ohio State's got this. This is definitely the team that, you know, we saw last year. And, and granted, did the other games follow it up? Not necessarily, but in that third quarter, you're like, ah, this is this is going to be a good year, and you got really excited. So I would say those two um, were Braxton Miller, just like it looked like he was going to be a world beater through the entire season. Like I, I love those; those were pretty fun for me. But to answer uh, Jim's question here, no, I think <laughs> I think that one drive was was legit. I think that was pretty amazing. It was the most dominating drive. It was, and, and to me, that's kind of I would say that's probably the most entertaining. Uh, and enjoyable. Uh, we got one more question here. Uh, this is from okay. good old Gregory Metz. Hey, Greg. he's, he gave us a little bit of an update on the the Mystery Science Series 3000 uh, Kickstarter, so that's nice. Uh, he said it's getting close to the six new episodes level, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, are you excited? Are, have you have you gotten any of the updates? Are you are you pumped about it at all? I'm I'm really not one of those guys that gets pumped until it happens. Okay. Uh, so like. You know, when everybody's like, oh, there's, they're going to make three more Star Wars movies. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that's that's cool. And then, you know, but once I have my ticket, I'll be like, oh, dude, Star Wars. <laughs> you know, so I'm I'm not really totally geeked about it yet. Well, but once here's what once I, it's been produced and, yeah. and is ready to, to be watched, I'll be really excited about here's it. Here's what I'm geeked about, all right? So they got Felicia Day to be the new, like, Matt, right? Like the, I guess she's going to be, like, Forrester Jr. or something like that. She's going to be younger. Uh, I enjoy Felicia Day. I think she's funny. Uh, but I'm really excited about our new TV's Frank, uh, Patton Oswalt, which I think is going to be hilarious. I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> so, you know what? I was super skeptical, I guess, about the new the new blood, but maybe I'm going to have to go back on that a little bit because if you get Patton Oswalt involved, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll see, I'll see how that goes. So there you go. That's, that's the... Uh, that's all the questions we have this week. Keep them coming, though, because, you know, off-season looms, and we definitely need as many questions as we can get. All right, joining us as he does every week during the football season, our good buddy Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Matt, how are we doing this week? Oh, doing good, guys. How about you? Oh, pretty awesome. we got a big win <laughs> in the game. And, yeah, I'm doing and, a lot better uh, than I thought it was. That's the same time. Yeah, that always puts a smile on our faces, especially um, just absolutely waxing the Wolverines on their home field like uh, like Ohio State did. Um, you know, what did you see out of the offense that allowed them to just basically steamroll the Michigan defense? Well, I think that what you saw was, um, you know, a really good job of the offensive line, obviously. You know, I mean, they were able to get up to the second level. You know, I mean, good cuts, good reads by JT, good good reads by uh, by Zeke. Uh, you know, they didn't try to get too fancy or, or, to, or to force much, and, and they just played their game. You know, they, they came out, they executed. 
And, you know, I mean, more than the play calling, I think the execution was just so much better. You know, I mean, it just it, it worked a lot better with, with the offensive line. And, and those guys kind of, you know, maybe it, it sucks that they had to have that loss to kind of get them get them motivated and get them back into the game. But, but it seems like that's what happened. And, and you know, now it, it might have been too late, though. Yeah, it's – I honestly – I got to tell you something. I, I went to the game much – much more nervous than I, I really was comfortable with. And they came out with a win. Do you think, I mean, Ed Warner being in the, the coaches, you know, up there in the, the eye in the sky there, um, some of the other changes that they made, I, I don't know. I personally was not super confident just because it felt like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic a little bit. And then it ended up working out. <laughs> um, but I also think that a big part of it was how they were able to keep uh, Jake Rudock and, and, and Jake Butt in check, and I was really surprised by that. Was there anything like special that they did? I mean, I, to me, I felt like Butt was going to be a really big uh, sticking point, and they, they kind of shut him down a little bit. How did they accomplish that? You know, I mean, they they did shut him down a little bit. I mean, he still got his catches, he still got his yards. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that what they did though is they, you know, they, they took away the run. I mean, and, and when you go, I mean, you can. You can kind of break down Ohio State and Michigan all you want. You can look at the, the offenses, and, and you know you can you can do all these these things to it over the course of the years. But 99 times out of 100 in the Ohio State Michigan game, if you can run the ball and if you can stop the run, you're going to win the football game. I mean, and that's just the way it is. I mean, yeah, things were different in the Rich Rod era a little bit, um, but you know the the games like the you know the game of the century where you know guys are throwing all over the place. That, that just that rarely, rarely happens. I mean, even in today's, in today's game, and it's just it, it's normally a running. Uh, it, it's just you know it's late in November and you got to run the football. You just you have to. And Ohio State, I thought, came in. They they decided to stop the run and they decided to kind of try to focus the, the coverage a little bit on Jake Butt. You know, knowing that the that the one on one matchups they had on the outside with the wide receivers, they they could win those. And I thought that's that's what they did. They went in, and, and Luke Fickle and Chris Ash went in and said, you know, we're going to take away the two things that you do really well. I mean, that's run the football, and that's throw the ball to the tight end. And, and if, you know, Jake Rudock can can throw the ball on the outside and, and hit wide receivers, then hey, that's that, we, we can live with that. But you're not going to beat us running the football, and we're not going to let the tight end. And if you go back and watch, and you watch the catches that Jake Butt had, there weren't very many of them. There's one that I can remember that was over the middle of the field. Most of them were to the outside. Most of them were on the sidelines. And, and a guy like Jake Butt, that's where he's going to kill you. So if he gets in the middle of the field, you know, just like any good tight end, I mean, you know, you look at the NFL and you look at Gronk and you look at, you know, even back in the day with Antonio Gates and those kind of guys, they really hurt you when they're able to work the middle of the field effectively. And I think that's what they took away. Yeah, Jake Butt had the catches, but, again, I think that there's only the one that I remember of him having in the middle of the field where he kind of got in behind the linebacker and in front of the safety. And, and if you're going to force that tight end playmaker to make catches on the outside, kind of a la wide receiver, where he's making catches on the sidelines, you know, you can live with that. But but I think they, they took the middle of the field away from Jake Butt and they stopped the run. Those are the two things I saw defensively. So I want to piggyback on that and ask you how they kept Jake Butt out of the middle. Was it was it Raekwon? Was it Von Bell? Was it a combination of things? What kind of coverage did you see? Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think I saw that much different of a coverage. I think that that they were just more aware of it. I mean, you had a guy uh, with a lot of experience with Josh Perry. You know, making sure that that, that he kept that inside leverage, and, and you know, you give him that one way go, and that one way goes to the outside, and 
You know, if he goes, if the, if the quarterback throws that, you know, I mean, a lot of times the tight ends and especially Jake Butt, they'll get that option route. They want that that coverage guy, whether it's the safety or the linebacker, to be, you know, head up with them and they can give them one direction and then go back over the middle. You know, I think when you watch them and look what Josh Perry did and what Von Bell did, they gave, they gave Jake Butt one way to go. They said, you're not coming in the middle of the field. You can go and catch an out and we'll tackle you and, and we can live with that but you're not going to get that 20, 25-yard pass over the middle of the field running in between the safeties. And I thought that's what they did very well. They just they took the middle of the field, and they said, this is ours, and, and you're not going to be able to go in there. And, and they just took that away and made, made the pass routes go to the outside. I think maybe if you, you, know, you looked at the teams on paper, like objectively, you're like, all right, all right, Ohio State should have the talent advantage here, but I think just the momentum definitely was not in their favor going in. Are you surprised, though, the the – level at which you know a Jim Harbaugh coach team got beaten like this I mean they had seemed much more impressive to me at least going into this game maybe I mean you could see point to some of the flaws in defense with the running game but you thought maybe at least their offense would be able to keep them in it a little bit right um I wasn't that convinced of it I, I thought that that, that that game was going to go two ways I thought that Ohio State was going to come out as the same Ohio State team that, that showed up the week before and it was going to be a very close game and Ohio State could possibly lose that game or the Ohio State could come out and live up to their potential, and it was going to be, a, you know, I, I predicted a three-touchdown win in, in, the, in the pregame show. And, and you got the Ohio State team that was good. It really had nothing to do with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he's really limited with what he's capable of uh, with, the, with the current talent, at, you know, at Michigan. I mean, and, and, and the, the, the time that he's had to develop said talent. Um, so, so you're, you're limited by that. I mean, and if you look at their wins and a lot of what they were doing over the course of the season, there was a lot of close games, a lot of scratching and clawing, and they were just instead of losing those close games, they were winning those close games more often. But it's not like they were blowing teams out, you know, kind of aside from the Penn State game the week before. But I think we all know how bad Penn State is at this juncture. So okay. I, I think that that you know I wasn't surprised that just because he doesn't have the, the horses yet, he just he doesn't have that those guys there. He's got. He's got guys there, especially on the offensive line and a little bit on the defensive line, that uh, were brought in by you know Brady Hoke and, and that system to to run a little bit more of that spread system and not the power eye, not the you know what Jim Harbaugh likes to run. So you know the offense is, is and, and while getting Jake Rudock was a huge huge help for him because he's part of that you know drop back passer pocket guy that that Harbaugh wants to have in in, in his offense. I just I, I thought that the game was going to hinge solely on what Ohio State was able to do. I mean, they, they were by far the better team on paper, and it was just a matter. I, and I think this is the true of them. You know, even at, at the Michigan State game, they're they're clearly the most talented team in, in college football. I mean, still to to this day, I would take. I mean, I would take them over Clemson. I'd take them over Alabama. I'd take them over Oklahoma. I'd take them over anybody. If they come out and play their best game, I don't think that there's anyone in college football that can stay with this football team. They just haven't been able to play their best game. Now, you know, it, it looked pretty good against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's as close as they'd come to playing, you know, a, a really, really good football game. Their passing game still wasn't, you know, exactly there for them, but they were able to, to run the ball and play very, very effective defense. So when you go into these games against Michigan State or against Michigan, it, you know, and when you're Ohio State, it hinges on you. It doesn't really hinge on the other team. I mean, and that's that's awkward to say, but they're just they're that much more talented than than the rest of the teams that they play. And it's whether you show up week in and week out or not. And they weren't showing up to that point. And all of a sudden on Saturday, there they were. They showed up. Hmm. 
Um, so, Matt, this it's, hits a little bit close to home for you and the Gold Pants Society. Have you started <laughs> passing around? Have you started passing around the hat yet to get the money for the uh, the Gold Pants? We're we're okay. We we uh, we've done some things and made some maneuvers. We're we're okay, and uh, we will make sure that those guys get those gold pants in the spring, as we do every year. And uh, and I don't think Jim and I got to come out of pocket this year for them. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's four in a row. Four in a row. So uh, uh, the, the, yeah, the I mean people... it's, it's impressive. I mean, and it's a great accomplishment for that senior class. I mean, you know, there, there's not been very many uh, teams. I'm trying to think. There might only be two others. Who, who have four pairs of gold pants. Um, and it might only be one, to be honest with you. Um, but, but it's, it's a very rare, rare thing to have that four in a row. And, uh, and those, those seniors absolutely earned it. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like, I think it's interesting just because of the way the nature of the rivalry has changed just because of Ohio State's success in the past, you know, 12, 13 years, but it still has that inertia that everyone else, you know, you know what I mean? Like, Unless you are really, really looking forward to national champions, excuse me, national championships every single year, which, I mean, I guess a lot of people are at this point, but I still believe that that's the most important game of the year. I still get more excited oh, yeah. than probably anything else, and to accomplish that four years in a row to me is just utterly crazy. Like I think that's that's awesome. It's something that you know, growing up in the '90s, like I, that's something I dreamed about. Like I, I just. You know, I'm really excited for the senior class, and it's going to be sad to see some of these guys go, honestly, because um, there's yeah, a I mean, lot. There's going to be a lot of them that go. So, I mean, next year it might be a, be a totally different story. I mean, you're talking yep. about the senior class that's going to leave, and you know, probably three or four, or maybe five juniors that are going to yeah, go exactly. as well. So, I mean, this is this this is going to be an interesting uh, interesting scenario next season to see where they go and how much young talent and how far they've developed. Yeah. Now, before we let you go, I I wrote this story this week about what makes a successful season, and I know that a lot of people are hemming and hawing because it's eleven and one. They might miss the college football playoff, and they didn't even win their their conference. As a player, you didn't you didn't achieve your goal as as you know being conference champions. But do you look at an eleven one season with a win over your rival, and do you consider that a success as a player? Absolutely. I I think that you've got to keep things in perspective and, and while everyone has the goal, you know, to win that national championship and to and to and to repeat and, and you know, we, we saw all the talent coming back and, and all the hype surrounding this team, you know, from the beginning of the of the season. You know, the, the reality of college football is that it is so incredibly hard to you know, to, to achieve those goals. I mean it just it, it really is. I mean and you know, I lived through it in the nineties where you know, we had three teams that, uh, you know, just were, were and just, you know, an inch away from going undefeated every year. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, so hard. I mean, you look at, at, at you know, what, what's there in college football right now where, you know, there's really, uh, you know, everyone has a loss. I mean, it, it, it's just so, so hard. I mean, and I say this every year, you know, you get one maybe team every year out of 120 some that goes undefeated and, and you know has that dream season. And last year it was us. You know, we we didn't go undefeated, but we were able to, able to you know cap it off in a way uh, that that just was an incredible run. And you know that, that that's great. And you need to respect that. And, and and I don't think that you can expect that to, to happen every year. I mean, there, there's just so much parity. There's so much talent. 
And, you know, it, it's so hard to do. I mean, as we saw this year, it's, it's incredibly hard to, to play with that target on your back. I mean, uh, you know, it really, really is. It's so much easier to come out for this football team on Saturday and say, you know, hey, Michigan was favored. We just lost to Michigan State, and, and kind of the pressure's off. Let's just go out. And, and, and I mean, that, that's, that's a, you know, every guy wants to go play in that scenario. I mean, it is mm-hmm. tough when you go out there and you get that target on your back and you're expected to win by 30, 40 points every game. And, and, you know, a 28 to three win just isn't good enough anymore. You know, that, that's, a, that's a difficult, difficult scenario, 10 times more difficult than what they did last year and losing in that early game to, to Virginia tech and then being kind of discounted and getting that us against the world mentality and just, and making a run. So, you know, th- this season was on a slippery, slippery slope though, going into this past Saturday to where if they lose that game up in Ann Arbor, you know, there's talk about going to, you know, a just a, I mean, what, like the Alamo Bowl or the Central. I mean, you know, you go from the number one consensus, you know, returning national champions with, with a ton of talent back, and basically everyone except the wide receivers and a middle linebacker and one defensive tackle to, you know, playing in, you know, in the in an Alamo Bowl. You know, that's, mm. that's really a <laughs> – that's a, a recipe for being called the most underachieving team of all time. But they were able to rebound from that. You know, no matter what happens next weekend, if the chips don't fall, where, you know, if North Carolina doesn't win, if Florida doesn't win, you know, you're still probably going to be playing in the Rose Bowl or, or the Fiesta Bowl, and you're going to have a big matchup. And, I mean, yeah, you didn't get that back-to-back national title. But, man, I'll tell you what, in, in this scenario with the four teams – and with college, I mean, just think of it. You, you got four teams and you got five major conferences. Someone's left mm, right. out every single year. You know, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and that's just the way it is right now. And so, and so to, to be the second team in the conference, not winning your division, not being able to go to that conference championship and, and not being able to get in there. You know, I mean, I think that you have to, to temper expectations towards reality a lot of times. And the reality <laughs> is, you know, there's a good chance this team finishes 12-1 and one with a big win over a top-10 team in a bowl game. And and I think you you call that a success for for this for this team. I mean, it's just it is so hard. And I think that, that we as Ohio State fans and alumni and everyone, you know, we're, we're spoiled by expectations. We expect to mm. you know to have that ring every year. And it just, I mean, you look at 2012 and then 2014. It, it was 12 years in between national championships, and all the all of a sudden we're expecting to win one every year. It's just it's not right. realistic. You know, to, to expect that no matter what the talent level is. So, so I think that, that you know, fans need to understand how hard it is to, to do what these guys were trying to do. And, and you're going to fall short sometimes, and, and things just aren't going to go go your way. But there is no way that I would consider this anything but a successful season with, you know, this team with a bowl win. Well said, Matt Finkus. Uh, thanks so much again for being with us, Finkus on Football. And uh, we'll of course be checking in with you uh, once we once we know what our bowl matchup is, or our or whether or not we may maybe sneak into that final four. So, you never uh, know, Gabe. Everybody better be rooting for those Gators and, uh, and the Tar Heels and see what happens. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think Stanford might need to lose too. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so It'll you know, happen. fingers fingers crossed, right? <laughs> we'll see. Hey, you know, stranger things have happened, and if not, you know, the world, the sun will come up tomorrow. That's right. All right, thanks, Matt. (laughs) All right, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, joining us this week on the 11 Dubcast, uh, former NFL player, and uh, you know him as uh, Joey and Nick's dad, John Bosa. Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. 
Uh, I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to talking to you both. I wanted to start out by asking you just, um, you know, you know, you went to Boston College, and um, you know, you're, you're tied, I guess, to Ohio State. Is that your brother-in-law played at Ohio State, Eric Kumaro? And I just wonder what what you think made you know both Joey and and Nick decide that Ohio State was the place for them to be. Well, it was um, you know it's an interesting uh, process uh, and going through the process. You know, when I went through the process a long time ago, it was very different. So for my sons, um, basically what I did, and I did it for both Joe and Nick, was to try and narrow down their choices to what I felt were the top five uh, schools for them, um, and then really let them kind of feel it in their heart. And I think the biggest mis- misconception with kids choosing uh, where they're going to play football, uh, their college football, is it's really about people. And, you know, without having either, if there's a student who really has a, a specialty, if they're looking for med school, looking for engineering, something like that, then that might narrow down their, their choices. But for Joe, it was uh, a really a bonding with the people. Certainly there were connections, you know, but Eric Kumaro, obviously his history with Ohio State and mm-hmm. and uh, their their mom being a Buckeye. Uh, but really, it came down to at that point it was Mike Vrabel and, and Coach Meyer, um, and so that really was, you know, Joey was considered an Alabama uh, commit for for a long time. Um, but again, I knew that out of his final choices, uh, he really couldn't go wrong. And and um, and when he, you know, when he was up there and and just, you know, it's, it it really is kids bonding with with the people, and then obviously. You know, Mike Rabel moved on uh, to a great opportunity, and it couldn't have worked out better for Joey because Coach Johnson, to me, uh, probably the premier defensive line coach in the country, pro or college, and really one of the finest human beings I've ever met. Um, so that that was something that uh, has really made me happy that my son has been able to play uh, for those type of men and mentors. So, you know, one of the things that I'm really – glad that I get to do when we, especially when we have four players on, is kind of talk about the evolution of football and then how it's changed over the years. And I kind of wanted you to comment a little bit on how you've seen the position of defensive line change since when you were playing in the NFL to the time that your sons are now kind of emerging and, and, and headed toward that goal as well. Well, that, that's a great question. And that leads into something that um, has been kind of a thorn in my side and, and I'll tell you um, <laughs> no it really is because I, I'm, I'm you know I'm first and foremost a dad I was a football player but yeah. really in a in, you know and, and it was really a different era you know I came out in 87 um, and the defensive line play and the technical part of the technical aspect of teaching and coaching pass rushing and playing the position is so much different um, and that really kind of lends into a question that I get all the time, which is it, actually it's a little annoying, although I'm, I'm always um, honored that I and, and, and fortunate that I have two sons in this position. But the comparison of Joe and Nick, and the, and the real thing was when Joe was in high school, you know, I was able to be a dad and help him sort of learn a little bit about what football is all about. Um, but really – the advantage that Nick has had uh, is, you know, Joe went to Ohio State and got 
this coaching that was beyond anything that I've ever really known as far as defensive line play. And then Nick has had the advantage of his older brother teaching him techniques that I could have never taught him. Uh, and then, obviously, Nick has had the visit and been able to sit in the film room, you know, watching Coach Johnson and, and getting getting some technical coaching from Coach Jay. So that's why Nick is a little bit more advanced at the high school level than Joe was because Nick has had that mentorship both with his older brother uh, and obviously some college coaching that has helped him. So that's the difference. But for as a dad, you know, an ex-player, you know, the flipping the hips, the hand uh, placement, the, the, the technical aspect that Joe has just, you know, mastered. And obviously we all see that on Saturdays with right. the way Joe has, has been able to pass for us. That is really the difference. Uh, and that was something that I could, could have never taught them because I didn't have that, that knowledge of what these, what these coaches are doing now. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's an enormous difference as far as, as what football was when I played uh, as compared to what these guys are doing now. You know, John, I grew up with a brother just a couple years younger than me, and I I know how um, how brothers are sometimes. And I wondered if you if you could tell us a little bit about how how Joe and Nick, um, you know, sort of uh, were in terms of of how they got along and how you know because you know brothers don't always get along. They 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 want their own right. space and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, was Joe a real like is somebody that Nick really looked up to or did they did they not get along did they fight a lot or you know what what was that up what was it like having those two in the house well it was you know there there were always contentious moments um mm. and as they grew um you know they, Joey was Joey's a bully you know he bullies offensive <laughs> linemen and, and quarterbacks that's what he is um and so there were there were times when as brothers you know, you know always are um, the, the thing that I'm most blessed um, really is, is how close they are now. And I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, I sat down with Nick one time when he was getting recruited and, and you know, I said, Nick, I, I need to know if you're going to, you know, does it bother you or is it going to be a problem for you to follow your brother, you know, to Ohio State? I mean, is, it, mm-hmm. is that something that would be? And for Nick, you know, those two are so close that, you know, in a lot of times, brothers would have a hard time or wanted, you know, maybe blaze their own path, do their own thing. Uh, for those guys, they're both so happy, so proud of each other. And they certainly had, we had our trying times. You know, Joe's a tough kid. Um, he was he was definitely, you know, the aggression you see <clears throat> in, you know, on Saturdays. You know, he was a tough, he was a tough dude. And, uh, uh, but Nick has, you know, they've, they've grown close. Uh, as they get older, and they've been close for for years now. So, you know, the good thing about being a parent is sometimes you get amnesia and you forget about the tough years. <laughs> but they're they're close, and 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 really, there's no issue now. And and I think that Nick looks up to his brother, uh, is proud of his brother, and and is proud to to try and uphold, you know, what what Joey has started at Ohio State. Um, so it'll be, you know, Joe Nick's going to have to blaze his own trail there. Uh, and and he has he has a brother that has uh, you know really really done something special there so it'll it'll be neat. You know one of the things that we ask people, especially with regards to like high school recruiting and things like that, 
are some of the crazier stories and things like that that they've encountered on the recruiting trail. And I would imagine that as the parent of two sons who have been very, like, you know, heavily recruited, um, you've probably encountered some really weird stuff. So maybe without saying names, can you tell us maybe some of the, the stranger things that you've encountered uh, during the whole recruiting well, process? Yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't have any really, really interesting stories for you. I think um, one of the things that, that their mom and I tried to do is kind of, because it, it can get crazy, um, yeah. and, and uh, especially when kids, you know, uh, both of them started getting recruited as sophomores, so it, it, it can get a little uh, crazy. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any great story. I'd love to. I'd love to share a great story with you, but I really don't have one because we kind of, you know, part of part of the reason why things were so controlled and great is because of George Smith and the eight and the AD at St. Thomas Aquinas. You know, this is a school that, right? You know, pumped out ten, seven, eight. 10, you know, D, D1 kids every year. So it's a very, uh, it, it reminds me of like a, you know, a small junior college is how the, uh, the, the high school is run. So there's, you know, there's a lot of, we lean on, on those guys who've been through it, um, and especially Coach Smith is, was, was fantastic. So we really kind of kept the craziness to a minimum, um, and I, and I kind of ruled out a lot of schools that just weren't realistic for, for the boys, whether, I mean, they could have gone anywhere in the country, but we wanted them to kind of, you know, kind of narrow the, the focus and because it, it can get overwhelming for families and kids. And, you know, they're 17 years old, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even Joey just turned 20, you know, so it's, it's not mm-hmm. like these guys are, are you know, uh, full-blown adults. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. So we kind of kept it um Kind of close, and 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 we picked and chose uh, chose the the the, um, the visit. So, uh, and they both they both committed before their senior year. So we didn't go through the whole official visit kind of craziness. You know, we kind of mm-hmm. did the visits uh, and and wanted to kind of make sure that that they could enjoy their senior year and knowing where they were going to go. So, unfortunately, I can't I can't share with you any crazy story. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um... You know, John, obviously, you know, Joe has, has accomplished just about everything he can in college football, and um, I think that most Ohio State fans are are going to be sad when, you know, he's gone, obviously. But, uh, you know, Nick comes in next year, and was there talk in the house about the two ever playing on the same team, or was it always just sort of thought that, you know, Joe's going to put in his time and, and then go to the NFL or, you know, what can, what can you tell us about that? Well, they, they played together in high school. Right. So right. Nick was, a, Nick was a freshman and, and Joe was a senior and they, they both started on a, on a state championship, uh, uh, defensive line at St. Thomas. So they did get their opportunity to play together. Uh, as far as Joe, um, you know, we'll we'll make a family decision uh, after the season, and that family decision is a is a Boza family decision, and mm-hmm. it's an Ohio State family decision. So, um, you know, we'll we'll play this out, um, and hopefully, we're number six tonight now. So, you know, there's there's still hope now. We're still yep. in the playoff hunt. <laughs> Um, but if, if if that falls short, uh, we'll go to a nice bowl game and, and enjoy that, and then uh, and then we'll make that decision at that time. Both um, you know for for the Boza family, Joey, and, and the Ohio State family. 
Well, I mean, regardless, whatever happens, I mean, it's been an excellent three years with uh, Joey Bosa at Ohio State, and we're all really, like, it's been a lot of fun. And I guess one of the things I want to ask you then maybe is, is what has been kind of your most memorable moment in the past, like, several seasons with him? Well, I mean, you know, Joey has had some kind of signature moments. You know, he's really, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I was, uh, Coach Johnson was down, down here uh, today, um, visiting and, and on the recruiting trail, those guys never stop. And, and, you know, we, we spoke about some of the things that Joey's accomplished. Um, uh, you know, he's had, he's had some amazing statistical years and he's had some, some, you know, those moments, the Penn State, the, the, Ohio, the, uh, Oregon, you know, uh, hit on, you know, we, he's had some definitely some signature moments that will kind of, you know, um, make him beloved and, and remembered at Ohio State. But what's really interesting, uh, you know, talking to the coaches and, and you know, both Coach Meyer and, is that Joey has this year, even though statistically he was down from last year, is probably 50% of a better football player than he was last year. So you're talking about a, a unanimous All-American, you know, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year who actually, you know, put the time in, put the work in, and, and really, you know, had, had a little bump in the road um, and became 50% of a, of a better football player um, than he was last year. And statistically, it didn't show, which, which I know was frustrating. You know, you, you got to remember his age and, and what he does and how, how hard he works. And, and, mm-hmm. um, but he became that much better at, at, Playing his assignments, holding his 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 gap integrity, uh, doing everything right for the team, uh, which I think was most I'm most proud of, um, uh, and becoming more of a leader. You know, he he's a, he's a silent. You know, he's kind of the quiet guy. You know, he's not as you guys probably have, have noticed. He's not really that uh, vocal, but he's a he's a leader as far as in the weight room and and doing things the right way. And and I think that that's what I'm proud of. Uh, so the signature moments, you know, obviously crushing his his old uh, quarterback <laughs> last weekend was pretty pretty significant. You know, that was pretty cool, and and uh, you know his touchdown against Wisconsin, picking up the fumble. I mean, there there are really a lot of moments that that just make me, you know, I just I just can't believe this kid uh, is is honestly. I was the 16th pick in the draft. This kid's a better football player than I ever was, <laughs> ever was. So. It's really neat to watch, and he's, um, you know, he's contributed to a really amazing run um, with with great coaches, great people, and a great university. And that's that's really, I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything more from his run here, you know, at Ohio State. John, what do you think of the shrug, and and you know, where did that come from? You know, I I, I love it. And, and and unfortunately, he didn't he didn't do it enough this year, um, <laughs> you know. And it, even even uh, last weekend, I was in the middle of that nightmare of blue, and uh, and uh, and he didn't do it for me. But uh, I love it, and he doesn't even know where it came from. The first time he did it, he just kind of did it, and it it just became kind of a funny thing. And I I absolutely love it. I just think it's. It's kind of it kind of captures who he is because if you watch him play, um, you know, big plays, 
bad plays. He's a, he's a very level-headed dude, you know, and he, and he kind of – and sometimes emotions can get you one way or the other on a football field, and he's he's very focused, and it, it really kind of sums up his, his attitude towards, you know, he puts – puts the time in, hard work and do, makes the play and, you know, get back in the huddle and, and get ready for the next play. So it it actually really encompasses who he is. And, I, you know, I don't know where it came from, but it's really cool. <laughs> I, I got two two quick questions before we let you go. Um, one is, can we get an update on, on Nick's condition and, and, you know, where he is in his progress coming back from the knee injury? Yes. Um, today's Tuesday, so this is exactly three weeks post-surgery. Um, he, we brought him up to James Andrews up in Pensacola, uh, who, who really is the best in the business. Um, his, his knee was um, the best of a bad situation. He blew out his, his ACL, but the, the rest of his knee was absolutely perfect, so there was no other damage uh, as far as um, cartilage or anything, so it was just ligament. Um, the surgery went perfect, and he is uh, right on schedule, doing great, uh, great spirits. Um, but his his rehab will, um, you know, he's with the best uh, uh, PTs. Uh, will continue to to move him forward with with the, with physical therapy, and then uh, he might end up actually training a little bit with. Um, um, up, up at, at uh, with at Dr. Andrews at that facility, and then by the time he gets to Ohio State, it would be um, close to seven, uh, seven and a half, eight months. So he'll really be, you know, quite quite a ways along. Um, and if everything goes well, he he should be ready to go for 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 training camp. So, um, you know, if you if you you know a lot about Nick already, and and he's a pretty focused guy, uh, so he's. His two questions to me um, after he found out, you know, the MRI results. He said, "Dad, can I keep? Can I still do uppers?" I said, "Yeah, you can still work out the upper body." And then he said, "Yeah, it's a shame because I was really getting those those pass rush moves down you know, that Coach Johnson <laughs> taught him." So uh, he's a great kid, great you know, great work ethic, and uh, he'll be he'll be better than ever uh, come come training camp. That's good to hear. My my other question was, um, you know, for some of our younger listeners that, you know, grew up rooting for Ohio State, maybe uh, aren't old enough to remember, you know, back around the time that, that Eric Kumaro played football here, we had Chris Spielman, we had Pepper Johnson, and, and a lot of those names still get heard. But I think a lot of people overlook how good uh, Eric was as a player. And you know him very well, obviously, and you played with him in sure. Miami. Could you just tell uh, our listeners a little bit about what kind of player he was? Well, the, the thing with Eric, it was it was interesting because I, I was I was drafted in '87, and I came from Boston College, which ran a three-four. Mm-hmm. So I was I was truly a, a five-technique three-four defensive end, with my hand in the dirt every every down. And what Coach Shula uh, drafting Eric uh, the next year at the in the same you know in the first round, he kind of envisioned Eric. Um, Possibly being up or 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 you know putting his hand down, uh, which didn't really fit Eric. Eric was more uh, of an athletic pass rushing. Um, you know, he he had never really played down at Ohio State, mm-hmm. so it was really a little bit of a mismatch. And it was kind of funny. You know, Shula was we had a we had a really great offense back then, 
uh, and he was trying to build a defense, and he kind of mismatched Eric with a 3-4. Eric would have been a much better 4-3 end because uh, that's really what he had, had. You know, so the fit for me was perfect as a, coming from a 3-4. And back mm-hmm. then, the defenses weren't quite as interchangeable. Um, you know, whereas now you go, you go, you know, these teams play three, four, four, three, and they're, they're mixing it up. You know, they, they'll play three down linemen on first down and bring in, you know, it's, it's a much more of a hybrid. Whereas back then it was, you were either three, four or four, three. There was very little mixing and matching other than in the bears were really the first ones to do that. So Eric kind of got caught in a system, uh, that really didn't show his talent. Uh, obviously had a great career at Ohio State. Uh, he ended up being behind me because they moved him down behind me. I got hurt. He had opportunities to play, um, but his, you know, his his career unfortunately was similar to mine. Uh, shortened. I had two ACL uh, tears on both both my knees, so my career ended. Uh, Eric ended up getting traded to the Bears and 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 blew out his Achilles. So we were kind of snake bit. Um, and very disappointed in our NFL careers, and, and um, but obviously, from the minute he he got drafted, he and I become became good friends and and kind of running buddies. And next thing you know, I'm marrying his sister. So you know, I was a little... <laughs> but uh, but yeah, a great athlete and a great player uh, who just kind of you know we kind of he didn't have the, the proper fit as far as the defense, and then unfortunately, uh, you know, injuries shorten both our careers. Well, John Bosa, thanks so much for, for being with us on the 11 Dubcast. I appreciate you coming on, and, and uh, thanks uh, for giving us uh, Nick and Joey. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you guys. All right, well, that just about will wrap up another 11 Dubcast, Johnny. We definitely want to thank our guests, Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football, and John Bosa, Yay. Dad, dad of Nick and Joey. It was really cool to have him on. That was cool. And like I said, I really like bringing on ex-football players like you know Matt and, and John because you just can tap their brains about stuff that, you know, yes, a dude like me, you bring me on the Dubcast, I'm just going to blather on about like, ah, you know, that was really fun, like kicking their butts, but like they can actually talk about football. <laughs> So yeah, that's nice. They, that's that's yeah. enjoyable to have. Sibling rivalries, man. I couldn't even imagine being on a, a sports team with my brother. Uh, like, I can't imagine being like Joey Bosa's brother. That that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> like not well, that against Joey Bosa, you know. But I just right, I'm like, no. God dang, that's got to be that's you got to talk about being in someone's shadow. That I think that's why probably why Nick is so good. Yeah, well, that's know. what I'm saying. Like they grew up, they they made each other tough. Like that's that's yeah. that's, that's a hardcore childhood to have. That's pretty awesome. And your dad's it an NFL player. Awesome. I mean, shoot. You know, the Dolphins, you know, John Bosa's Dolphins had the killer B defense, yep. and if the Bosa players got to play, the Bosa brothers got to play together, that would be the ultimate killer B defense. That would really be cool. Um, Not going to anyway, Johnny, before we get out of here, Johnny, before we get out of here, okay. I'm going to ask the final question, as I always do. All right, let's do it. All right, so out of the many, many sad or, or um, let's say, downtrodden Michigan people that have been uh, Internet memes uh-huh. – uh, what is your favorite? You've got, you know, you've got the, the, the girl who looks drunk. You've got the, <laughs> you got the guy who got pepper sprayed at Penn State. Yeah. Uh, you good. got the, you got the redheaded guy who grabbed his head after the Michigan State, uh, punt return miracle. Uh-huh. I, I, what, what do you, do you have a favorite Michigan fan meme? My favorite Michigan fan that I have noticed is the, like the redneck guy, 
who looks directly at the camera and then just goes like, huh? And then flips the camera right off. Like, just <laughs> shows the boniest, grossest, palest middle finger to the world. That's my favorite guy because that's that's not the side of Michigan you see too often. Sometimes they're, they're a little smug about their uh, position in the world. And, and th- the world needs to see more of those guys. So... Uh, it took me a while to, to think about that question, actually, because I've, I've been so immersed in watching sad Browns fans from last night. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that guy is probably my favorite. The just the aggressively silly uh, middle finger. It was that was very delightful. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think the guy. I think the guy from the Michigan State game, uh, the, the the skinny kid with the, the glasses that grabs his head. Yeah, and that's definitely believe, my runner up. That's definitely because it, it's. I can. I'm. Can I relate to that guy. Sadness and confusion. I, you know, you do, and it's like I can imagine if that happened to Ohio State, and that would be probably the exact look I would have on my face. Yeah, yeah, that's. And, it's a universal feeling. I'm just glad it didn't happen to me, and I'm more glad that it happened to a Michigan fan because that's even. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be a meme. I'm glad that he took the bullet for us. Yeah. So, all right, uh, that's another eleven dubcast, and uh, you know we'll be back next week. We'll we'll know our postseason fate when we when we next speak, Johnny, and um, you know we'll we'll know what uh, what our plans are for the holiday season. I guess same as for the bowl season. Regardless. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm sure that you know. The, the coverage at 11 Warriors will be wall to wall as always, um, you know, once we, we know where we're going and, and what we're doing. And uh, so uh, we'll bring in Matt Finkus and we'll talk about that. And uh, we'll probably have to start talking about a little bit of hoops, even uh, though it's, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, 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 a tough year, I think for the Buckeye basketball team. Yeah, it's going to be rough, but you know what? We'll see it. And hopefully, you know, that Mata always gets his team playing better towards the end of the year. So, you know, it should be, yeah. hopefully the evolution will be fun to watch at least. Start watching them now and they're going to be favorites in two or three years. Yep. So uh, there you go. So uh, until next week, I am Michael Citro. I'm John Ginner. Peace.